I think as an entrepreneur, every, especially in this kind of high growth phase, every six months, I feel like I have to learn something new and it can feel sometimes that it's like, wow, this is like not something that I made for, right? This is The Playbook. I'm so excited. I have another incredible entrepreneur, Ahmad Akhund, co-founder and CEO of the incredible Mercury, rising to the top, obviously. The heat is on Mercury. What's going on, Ahmad? Yeah, I'm excited to be here, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Well, you know, I love to explore the journey uh, more than the end. Obviously, uh, you have had great success and we can focus on, on bragging about where you're at today, but we're not going to learn anything from focusing on the end. So, you know, you are a true startup founder. You're someone that has utilized pain, setbacks, failures as a propeller meaning it's propelled you to a better place, a better situation. Uh, so I thought we'd start with that journey and how, as a startup founder, you have dealt with the normal pain, setbacks, and failures that occur to get you to where you are today and uh, starting up your own your, your own bank. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I think I would actually reframe that a little bit. Please. I don't yeah, I think it's such, I know this is going to sound a bit cliched. I think it's such a privilege to be an entrepreneur. Like, you know, I get to wake up every day, do something that I'm inspired to do. I, yeah, the alternative for me, and I had this for a year, I worked at Bloomberg for a year. That was the only job I really had. And it was painful. Like I would have to, yeah, I wouldn't work that hard, but I, I was not inspired. I was waking up every day. I was tired at the end of the day. And it was not like fun for me. And then when I realized, hey, you know, I did my first company uh, back in 2006. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is a completely different life and I'm loving it. And it's harder work. There's a lot of failure and struggles and all of that, right? Like I actually did startups. I did four startups. Uh, my third one was finally successful. But, but, you know, there's a lot of like problems and it's a lot of hard work, but it's a real privilege to do what I'm doing. Uh, so that's how I always approach it. I'm like, okay, you know, this is hard, but the alternative would be awful. <laughs> and do you think, you know, it's so interesting today because we have had a bit of a transformation in the entrepreneurial sense that you can be an entrepreneur with a lot of the benefits of what used to only be available for an entrepreneur working at home on your own hours, a lot more freedom that you than when we in 2006 uh, became entrepreneurs that exist today. Do you think that number one, everyone's made that way that they, they can be entrepreneurs? And then two, if you don't think you're made that way, what do you think about the opportunities of being an entrepreneur today? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a probably a lot better kind of environments than I was in <laughs> where I wasn't inspired and I wasn't necessarily given the tools to feel good about uh, my work. At the end of the day, I think like you should know who you are and like what is it that like, you know, gets you to wake up in the morning and think like, this is my purpose. And yeah, I did, for everyone that's not entrepreneur. In fact, I have many friends who try to be entrepreneurs. I'm like, hey, this is maybe not the right path for you. Like, you know, making the right decision for yourself. So it is definitely a personal decision. I'm not one of those that's like, everyone should be an entrepreneur kind of thing. But I, I would say there's a lot of reasons that people don't become an entrepreneur and they're not the right reasons, right? Like this they're worried about things. They don't, yeah, they think too much about the downside. They think like, oh, I'm not going to have money. I'm not, you know, it's going to be hard work, et cetera. I don't think those are good reasons not to do it, uh, but I don't think it's for everyone either. Yeah. 
It's interesting because I always say that the reason people that are suited to be entrepreneurs don't do it is because they start looking at one, what other people want for them, two, what's missing, what they don't have, what they're worried about not having, instead of focusing in on enjoying as you do, you know, consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of a potential of a business. Now you've been in the multiple startups, you know, what led you to start a bank? I mean, you know, taking on the carriers is one thing, but you know, you're, you're starting a bank. What, what led you to that? Uh, so actually I had this idea a really long time ago, basically in 2013, I was doing my third startup. I was about halfway through it and yeah, I was just really frustrated with the banks we had to use. Uh, yeah, the product isn't good. It's never improving. Uh, they charge you fees for everything. And I'm like, well, am I getting charged another fee? And then I have to go argue against this fee. It's just so frustrating. And then to get anything done, you have to call customer service and you speak to this robot that wouldn't be able to solve your problem. And then the next robot is just so painful as an entrepreneur. And, you know, it's just one of those things I just wanted to get out of the way and so I can run my business. Uh, and during this time period from 2006 uh, to like 2017, you know, all of these other tools had improved that, that you used to run your business, right? Whether it's payroll or yeah, Stripe or uh, Slack, there's just so many tools that have improved for entrepreneurs. And I was just like, I was just really annoyed that banks were still the same. Uh, so in 2017, I, I sat on this idea for four years uh, and eventually I sold that company and yeah, I was like, okay, what am I going to do next? I had this idea for ages and I, you know, originally I looked at this idea and I was like, I don't know how to make a bank. Like I've never done a fintech company. I have no idea how to do this, but I was like, okay, you know, let me try to figure it out. Like I'm just, I was, that was the only idea that I'd had for such a long time that I was still really excited about. And even if I didn't know how to do it, I knew people wanted it. Right. Like I think that's as an entrepreneur, I knew what, that I wanted it. I had a pretty good idea of how I would sell it to entrepreneurs and how I would distribute it to entrepreneurs. So all of the kind of user-facing side of it, like what's the product, what's the distribution, et cetera, was figured out. It's just how is this actually doable was not figured out. Uh, so I spent nine months, uh, went really deep in it, spoke to a ton of like people. Eventually figured it wasn't impossible, so I might as well try to do it. <laughs> and you did. I mean, it's interesting because I always say make yourself equal, then make yourself better or different or unique. And, you know, especially considering small and medium-sized businesses, you know, you have a pretty killer philosophy that gave that distinguished value in the marketplace. How'd you come up with that philosophy, your kind of ki killer difference or feature philosophy with Mercury? Um, yeah, I think there's a few pieces to that. Number one, uh, you know, we're competing against these incumbent banks that no one likes, right? So. And people know why they don't like them, right? Like, uh, and so we were like, okay, you know, how do we do that differently, right? So we really thought about that from end to end. There's obviously, you know, it's, there's some of the really obvious stuff, like it's all online sign up. So you go to mercury.com, you can sign up to a bank account. It'll take you know, maybe 10 minutes to fill out the application. You'll have a bank account hopefully in a day or two. Uh, so that's already killer uh, kind of comparison because you, with an incumbent bank, you literally have to walk to a bank branch and like imagine during COVID, like if you needed to set up a business bank account, you have to literally walk to a bank branch to do that. And some, you know, there's lots of stories of people waiting weeks to get that done. Uh, so there's uh, yeah some of this kind of obvious stuff, which is, yeah, I don't know. It, it, for me as like an internet entrepreneur, like to me, like having online sign up, it's just like a no brainer, right? Whereas like when you're competing against incumbents, you can like have that as a differentiator. Uh, but then we thought about like every piece of it as an experience and like, how do we deliver just a, a 10X better experience? So, you know, 
all of our customer service people are in-house and they're like all product people that we've like trained and you know, trained to answer and really solve people's problems. Uh, we have no fees across the whole stack. Uh, so just thinking about every experience and like going, okay, how do we make this 10X better? And it's not, you know, some people have like a single one uh, feature that's like everything. For me, it's like, how do we deliver like a complete experience that is just much better than like what's what's traditionally available to people? You know, technology has allowed us to rethink, you know, David McCourt wrote a book called Rethink and financial institutions and educational institutions and political institutions all probably are taking the majority of that focus of rethinking institutions that have been around for hundreds of years. And like you said, have moved at glacial speeds. Um, but yet you're, you know, understanding and applying for Bloomberg and, you, you know, your connection uh, in becoming an entrepreneur and and how to leverage the traditional side uh, because you can't just change everything. Um, you know, looking at the tools that exist today and where you're going in the future, how much of an influencer um, as you, you know, have worked with Bloomberg and other traditional people in the space, how much has that impacted where and how you do things today? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing that matters is like, what is the problem and who you're solving it for? And, you know, I know some people that are like very fintech people are like against crypto, for example, and other crypto people are very against like, you know, what we're doing because it's like, we're, at the end of the day, I see it as like, okay, we're helping yeah, entrepreneurs. So yeah, what the, you have to think about the end user and like build from there. Uh, and yeah, what we're doing is uh, there are all of these existing institutions and they do great things, right? Like, the FDIC banking system, FDIC insured banking system is great. Like you can have confidence in the US when you put money in a bank, you can have confidence. I'm I'm from Pakistan originally. And like you put money in a bank account in Pakistan and you don't always have confidence that's going to be there, like that they're going to do sensible <laughs> things and like you're going to get it back. And like, you know, my dad's always telling me stories about how he's had issues with like bank accounts. So yeah, I think there's a lot of things we get out of like the institutions that, that, that help us and we can build on top of that. Uh, and that's kind of how I view it. Like, yes, like, you know, th there's things that are wrong and like the world is full of like things that are bad, right? Like that's why entrepreneurs exist because there's just so many problems in the world. Uh, but yeah, it makes sense to like, you know, build where it makes sense on top of institutions and in other ways, like disrupt them where it makes sense. When you're looking at valuations, uh, as you have, in my opinion, reached unicorn status now with a $1.6 billion valuation as of August and being able, you know, to raise over a hundred million, I think 120 million or so uh, in your B, you know, there's one thing about running a business and having billions of dollars in management there, but it's another thing to raise money uh, with some of the biggest, you know, venture capitalists in the world, you know, for you, what was the credibility uh, uh, litmus test? What was the credibility that you were able to articulate to bring on such extraordinary funding uh, because I find a lot of people, especially if they're not from here, incapable of articulating a value to exceed what they're asking for. They know why this will work and they put their life, soul and effort. And then when they're presenting to, you know, Andreessen Horowitz, for example, uh, they crap the bed and they can't articulate the business and they fold under the pressure. How are you able to so eloquently be able to articulate that value and keep such a high valuation and raise so much money? Um, 
You know, I learned, uh, so around 2016, after I sold my company, I became a very active investor. Um, so I think altogether I've invested in 250 companies. Uh, and that really changed my perspective on fundraising, doing it from the other side. I think, uh, you know, before then, I, yeah, I'm, I'm an engineer. So I think like an engineer and yeah, before then I was like probably a little literal about fundraising. And I, there was always this like, in my mind, a power imbalance between like the investors, like, yeah, it's like a teacher or a parent or something like that, that like they hold the power and like, I'm trying to like persuade them. Uh, whereas you know, after I started investing, I was like, okay, you know, I'm an investor now. And it's like, I'm just another human. Right. Like, I think that's like, I think that's step one in this relationship. Like it's not, it's not like you are trying to get something out of someone as an entrepreneur. It's about like, okay, they're a human, they have the incentives. Like how do I make a real connection here and get them to go? Okay. Yeah. I'm not like when I've invested in people, I'm not going to invest in someone I don't like, like, I don't care how good your pitch is. Like if I spend 30 minutes with you and I'm like, I never want to speak to this person again, I'm not going to invest in you. Right. That's like a, ba that's like a baseline requirement, right? Like because, a date. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like you just have to have, I mean, it's not, it's obviously like, it doesn't have, it's not quite a date, right? Like it doesn't have to be a perfect relationship, but you have to respect that person when you're going to invest in them. You have to feel like, okay, this person is passionate about what they're doing. So there's a set of things that like is the minimum. And I think sometimes people don't, don't spend that time to build that relationship. So that's one. I think the second thing is, uh, yeah, you, I think you have to do your homework, right? Like uh, you don't go straight, like I'm going to pitch in recent Horowitz. I mean, maybe you do in some situations, but you want to go, okay, you know, speak to a lot of other entrepreneurs say like, okay, what is your experience like when you're talking to investors? Like, you know, and like, you know, pitch them, like learn from them. Right. There's, I spend a lot of time talking to other entrepreneurs and I mean, I moved to San Francisco, Silicon Valley, partly because of this, like, you know, I grew up in London, but I didn't think the ecosystem was as rich there, but yeah, spending the time to like really doing the homework, like feel like by the time you're in that meeting, you should be pretty confident because you know what you're saying and you know how you're going to say it. Uh, so, and there's lots of like entrepreneurs are always willing to help other entrepreneurs. Like, yeah. Uh, so you can spend the time to like, you know, really learn about like, how, how are you going to nail that pitch? And, you know, when you have a startup bank uh, that was built for SMBs, eventually you build as you have over 200 countries and 40, 14 cities and 150 employees or so. But in the end, all of a sudden there's new offerings. And one of them that's very attractive to me is the tea room the Mercury Tea Room and being able to accommodate those that may have a more sophisticated understanding of banking and more sophisticated needs. Was that a difficult transition because you were kind of for the people and of the people, but as you do banking, uh, just like the traditional banks, they rely on you know bigger and bigger deposits and bigger uh, high net wealth individuals or you know bigger customers, let's just say. And your tea room seems to have you know great capacity to handle uh, those bigger customers, but also still has the nimble facets of the SMB approach that you took with Mercury. You know, one thing that was different about us and actually part of the reason we succeeded is that we always targeted kind of high growth companies uh, and people who tend to have this kind of power law distribution. So like we target startups and e-commerce companies. So in that target, we can't be like, oh, you scale too fast. Like Mercury is not good enough for you. Um, and we have, you know, a few companies have more than $100 million on Mercury now. So we have pretty big companies using Mercury. And it was always part of the plan to be able to scale up. And yeah, that's actually a service to the small companies as well, because you want to, 
use Mercury and know that if you do scale, like it's not suddenly you have to do all this work to like move off Mercury. So we always yeah, meant to, and we always have been building in a way that, yes, we support tiny companies. We have thousands of customers that have like literally less than a hundred dollars on Mercury probably. Uh, but we want to be able to scale up to people who have hundreds of millions and, and the underlying tool is the same, right? It's a banking account. Like we're not talking about like, yeah, I'm not a fan. I feel like some people go like enterprise and then suddenly like build a bunch of stuff that does, isn't useful to everyone. And like, that's not what we're about. Like we build tools and we build up, build out these powers. And yeah, our, our thing is always like, yes, it's simple to use, but it's got like a lot of power and complexity if you need it. Uh, so we have like, we have four different types of user accounts, for example, and maybe it's five now. So you can have a bookkeeper user, you can have a custom user, you can have a card only user. Yeah. So we build all of this like complexity, but you know, when you're just one person or two people, you just have your normal admin users. It's all simple and you don't have to like worry about the complexity. Last question. You know, one of the things that I've seen from all entrepreneurs that go from, you know, two, three, four startups into a unicorn uh, with billions with a B and, you know, I had a reverse nuance that my first exit was 3.4 billion in 1995 uh, with Thomson Reuters. And, you know, I still have limiting beliefs and I love asking entrepreneurs like yourself of, you know, where were the limiting beliefs when you look at your life today and where were those limiting beliefs when you had your first startup, you know, imagining how big a billion dollars is, for example, or raising hundreds of millions of dollars. And then do you still look at yourself in the same light when you're seeing today where you're at? How am I limiting myself? And I see that, you know, through that entrepreneurial journey, this limiting belief can make or break an entrepreneur for a lifetime. Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I was an engineer and I was a, I wasn't an introvert, but I was shy, I would say, like around, you know, when I did my first startup and like getting out of that shell and going like, hey, I can, yeah, as an entrepreneur, you have to be a salesperson, right? Like you have to sell the VCs, you have to sell your customers, you have to sell your employees. Uh, and like just getting out of that in my head and saying, okay, you know, I can be a salesperson and I can like, put out this vision and story and like doing it in a way that's authentic to me. It took me many years to, I think, like really learn that and make that part of me. And now I feel like a lot more confident in that. Um, and I'm sure I have, yeah, I think as an entrepreneur, every, especially in this kind of high growth phase, every six months, I feel like I have to learn something new. And that's like, yeah, it can feel sometimes that it's like, wow, this is like not something that I made before, right? Like, I'm an engineer. Like I, nowadays I do like 12 meetings a day. Yeah. So I have to like learn to do that and be productive in it. And yeah, I think there's, I think it's interesting as an entrepreneur, I feel like I always have to learn something new and I never feel like I'm done. There you go. That, don't limit yourself just to 12 of those meetings. You can do more. <laughs> yeah. Thirteen. <laughs> Incredible journey. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your playbook to success. Imad Akhun, co-founder and CEO of Mercury, an incredible entrepreneur with an incredible journey and some great lessons for us today. Thank you so much for joining me.